0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The
1: Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. The Pure Hoops podcast most definitely
2: does reflect the views of our management. Here's three-time NBA champ B.J. Armstrong and Eric Newman. Pure Hoops Podcast, Thursday, September 10th. Eric Newman, New York. BJ Armstrong in L.A. Yes, BJ, I'm doing okay after Game Six. I am looking forward to Game Seven. What are your thoughts on Game Six? I know we're going to go into it big time with our guests today, but uh, quite a ball game we got there in the uh, the Eastern Conference bubble in Orlando.
0: Well, you know, the one thing that experience has taught me about playing in the playoffs is that when you have a chance to close out a team, you close it out. No, I knew you were gonna say that. And I, I I'm I'm nervous for the, the, the Celtics going into game seven. And the reason being is you know, their coach over there, Nick Nurse, the Toronto Raptors coach, he will experiment and he will come up with surprises, whether that's a You know, I always go back to that What he did a boxing one in the NBA finals. (laughs) That brought the biggest smile on my face then. And then he pulls it out again (laughs) in the last game. Who knows what he'll do? Maybe he'll go a triangle in two in game seven. And, you know, he is not afraid. He's not afraid of the moment. And whatever they're going to do. I think they're going to leave it out there on the floor. So uh, this team is experienced. This team talking about the Toronto Raptors, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a great learning experience for the Celtics. Certainly they played well enough to win this series and they're, they deserve to have the opportunity in game seven. So um, I don't think anyone should be, you know, in an uproar because it is a game seven. I think everyone that's watched the game understand that this Toronto Raptors team, they're battle tested. And then you have this up and coming team and the Celtics. So here we are. I think this will, uh, for yourself and all of the basketball fans around the world, I'll definitely be glued to my television, watching the game and uh, we'll see how it turns out. But overall, uh, I I think it's been well played and, um, you know, I think the game should be decided on the floor and should be a good one, my friend.
2: Yeah. Um, first, <laughs> first, the Nick Nurse Brad Stevens chess match is so much fun to watch, and I mean, Brad called everything right against the Toronto defenses in Game Five, and obviously, you got to make the shots right, but it just seemed like everything was working for the Celtics in Game Five. And then game six, the adjustments the Raptors made and the swings in the game. And, you know, I joke about being exhausted watching the game from my couch and thinking about it half the night. But the swings in the game are what made it so just emotionally enthralling, whether you're a fan of one of the teams or you're just a fan of the competition of the game. And that was what was so beautiful about it were these unbelievable plays shot versus shot versus shot collisions, bodies on the floor and guys just competing at full throttle. And, you know, with everything else going on in the world and how volatile and polarizing our news cycle is for us basketball people to get a a dose of a game like that. And know we've got one more coming up on Friday night, uh, which just happens to be Celtics and the Raptors, uh, is nice. But, um, you know, I thought, um, I thought as the game went into the second overtime, I thought it favored the Celtics. I just, I, I, I don't discount the heart and the fight and the will of the Raptors. I just was thinking to myself, they're, they're just, that chamber is going to be empty at some point. And whether it's, it's Lowry who, who misses one or Van Fleta misses one, but then some of the plays Norman Powell made uh, in that game last night. And uh, OG just continues to make big shots. This is, this is thrilling stuff, man. And it, it reminds us of uh, how great the game is, how lucky we are to have the league back uh, during this time. So, um, you know, we've got a great one. Sean Grande will uh, be joining us in a moment. Before we get to him, Um, My feeling on the Western Conference now is both L.A. teams have really gotten comfortable with their matchups and with Rondo back from the Lakers. They've hit a new stride now. Uh, What are you feeling about the Lakers and the Clippers as they are moving towards closing out their series, start with the Lakers and then transition to the Clips?
0: Well, let's start with the Lakers. The Lakers certainly right now are playing probably as well as, they, as they've they played throughout the course of the year. And, and the reason I say that is because now they're playing with the expectations of having to win. You know, no one really knew at the beginning of the season how this was gonna to come together. Was It gonna to come together quickly. How was AD gonna fit in? LeBron James kind of suddenly becomes a more of a facilitator. And now all of a sudden, when the seasons restarted down there in the bubble, there was a lot of talk about what's going on here in LA. And, you know, they weren't playing particularly well when they first got to the bubble and mm-hmm. they've worked out the kinks and give them credit. I mean, they've kind of settled in LeBron James has kind of settled in, especially with Rondo coming back as being more of a score, uh, taking more offensive burden or more offensive responsibility than before. And uh, so we'll see Rondo has definitely helped in that regard. He's making shots right now. And, um, you know, Rondo has been Rondo, you know, he's, he, he's a big time player. He's a, he, he's a big time. He's one of my favorite. He plays the game with attitude and uh, I love him. Can't Answers say, the say, bell. Answers the bell. I can't say enough, yeah, can't say enough positive time. things about him. Yeah. He's, uh, but on the other hand, other hand, I'm going to give this Clipper team all the credit. They've the best team that I've seen in the bubble and Hmm. and why do i say they're the best team defensively this team can come out and get stops and they don't have to shoot the ball well to play well they hold a denver nuggets team who is a high octane offense with Jokic and murray and 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 all of the things and they hold them to what 85 points or so last night or something like that and the clamps on them this team can defend and when they can defend like they've been defending in the playoffs they're healthy now and they have this player Kawhi Leonard who just takes his game even to another level as the games are being played in the playoffs he is a prime time performer in critical moments if you want to know how good a player is you just look at the moments or performance in pressure situation. Kawhi Leonard, he's at the he's he's at the top of that. He may not do it consistently throughout the regular season because of load management so forth and so on, but make no doubt about it my friend, when the games matter most in the playoffs, he's at another level. He plays the game as well yep. as anybody in the NBA. And I I like the Clippers. I think the Clippers have the best defense. I think Doc Rivers, who, you know, you're not supposed to have favorites. He is one of my favorite coaches. Doc Rivers, if the team embodies a personality (laughs) of who you are and when he was a player, well, just look at that. (laughs) Look at that Clippers team. You know, I played against Doc Rivers when he was in the NBA. Montrezl Harrell. Pat Bev.
2: (laughs) Marcus Morris.
0: Marcus Morris. (laughs) You know, uh, Kawhi Leonard. I see Doc Rivers imprint his personality all over this team. And, you know, Doc is he gives you great quotes. He's always smiling. He always has a kind word. But underneath all of that, Doc Rivers is a blue collar player. And I like this group. I like how they play together. I like... They can go big, they can go small, they can switch. And I think that's going to be a tough out for anyone when they're playing the way they've been playing uh, thus far in the playoffs. So I think it's a – I can't wait to see if both of them are able to, you know, continue uh, on this path. Uh, I think the Lakers and the Clippers are going to be – that'll, that'll be a great matchup. You know, L.A. in the bubble, I'll take it. I was hoping that it would be here in Staples Center – but uh, I know the city of Los Angeles, and I think the basketball world is going to enjoy that because you got some you know, high-caliber players on both sides.
2: Yeah, we've been talking about this battle for L.A. collision course long enough. So the Clippers are one win away. The Lakers, uh, by the time this releases Friday, will either be up 3-1 on Houston or tied at 2. But you can feel the momentum swinging uh, back toward the Lakers in a big way. Speaking of momentum, the Miami Heat have a ton of it right now. Uh, We'll have a lot more heat to talk about, but uh, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, obviously, you know, Giannis goes down, but they were already trailing in the series, and this was going to be a tough matchup for them, whether he was 100% or not. Uh, Unrestricted free agent next summer roster doesn't give them a lot of maneuverability in terms of attractive trade chips, in my opinion. And then you look at the salaries. So if you're the Milwaukee Bucks this summer, BJ, uh, where do you begin in terms of solidifying this thing to make sure Giannis is going to sign that supermax as soon as possible?
0: Well, you know, I I never like to comment on the team because i've worked in the office so i always feel like well that's why i asked you yeah i you know i i never like to comment about the business because i know the difficulty of of building a team sure it's a very it's a very very difficult thing to do but if i can add since you asked if i could just kind of give my two cents of what i think they should do um first and foremost is when you have a player that's emerged like Giannis did, right? When he's emerged uh, as a true superstar in this league, right? And when I mean a superstar, he is without question one of the premier players and premier talents in the NBA, hands down. I think everyone will agree with that. Now you have to figure out what is his greatest asset that he brings to the game. And when you have a great player and you're constructing a team around this great player's talent because you you got to allow this player to emerge right you have to allow jordan to figure out who is he like is you know at one point you know jordan was averaging 36 to 37 a night was he that player and then all of a sudden doug collins in the playoffs says let's put the ball in his hand and he starts doing triple doubles all the time and he starts playing A combo type guard. And then, you know, you kind of have to figure out who you are. What is Giannis? When I look at Giannis, I go, this is what I see. I see versatility and I see length. That's what I see. That's his strength. So why do I say play to your best player's strength? Because Giannis, when he's 30, Two, thirty-three, thirty-four, thirty-five, 34 35 and he's not this young athletic player that we see now he's still going to be 6 11 and long so size okay what's the one thing that doesn't deteriorate with age size he's going to always be 6 11 and in length the man has length. he's always going to be able to utilize his length so i'm yep. going to take a, a take advantage of his versatility by building a team that mimics what my best player can do so example jordan jordan could score with the best of them but what was his true talent what was his versatility now if i can add scotty pippen and horace grant around as the core players dennis robin and then sprinkle in all of the you know, yeah, you need a little spacing on the floor. You need to be able to guard the other teams' bigs. But the key to Giannis is who are the other versatile players that he's playing with that mimics what he does naturally? So mm. if he's going to be your foreman, imagine him playing. I'm just using his name. Imagine him playing with another athletic three that mimics him like a Siakam or adjacent tatum or you know bam Adebayo, okay and then you put in a two who mimics that as well so now your core mimics what it is your the, who your team's going to be which is the, a very versatile group okay i don't think this team mimics what he does exceptionally well because there mm-hmm. there there isn't another player that actually can match up with him, like Kevin Durant maybe? Who mimics Giannis? Le- LeBron sure. James? I mean, he's, he's,
2: he's almost one of a kind in the league. What, he's what I one of to a ask kind. You, what I wanted to ask you here is, and forgive me for cutting you off, but based on what you're saying, I get that. I also think there's glaring needs at other positions, and watching this series and watching the way – They just couldn't get going. Well, I see them. I I just see the Malcolm Brogdon decision as one that they're heavily regretting because of what he brought to the game as a primary ball handler. And, you know, the question is as good as Chris Middleton is, is Chris Middleton good enough to be that second guy on a finals team, or does there got to be another guy in there between Giannis and Middleton?
0: Yeah. So uh, forgive me. I don't look at the game from a, like, like as a fan, like a second guy, like, like what's a second guy mean? Like what what's a, what's a second guy? Like, you know what I mean? What's a, what's a okay. first addition, additional all-star. Yeah. He, he, this kid, this kid is a, he, is, he, 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 he can play with the best of them. He can play the game at the highest level. This kid yep. Giannis. You can't hold him in single coverage. Okay. When you get to the playoffs, when I look at the game, what did did the Miami Heat do? Okay. The Miami Heat did what everyone in the league knows about Giannis. You can't stop a great player. But what you can do is take away something. There's only been one player who showed us the ability to slow him down, and his name was Kawhi Leonard. Giannis' usage rate is around 75 percent in the paint i'll say that again his usage his usage rate in the paint is around 75 Mm percent the reason he is so effective in the paint because the the milwaukee bucks have perhaps the first stretch five in the nba in brook lopez so he's always playing against smaller defensive players when he drives the ball that's why teams don't know how to defend them do you defend them with bigs he'll probably go Mm -hmm. around them or if you put a little he'll post the guy up and shoot over the top of him okay because everyone's got to stay home with this stretch five not too many teams have a stretch five sure what the miami heat did was if you look at their team all right if you look at their team what they did was the following they said, we're going to try to slow him down so that he can't shoot 70% in the paint, and we're going to do it with the following. We're going to add Andre Iguodala. We're going to get Jay Crowder. We're going to get Jimmy Butler. We're going to get Bam out of Bayou. What's the other kid, the, the left-handed kid, uh, the 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 left-handed kid, uh, the other forward, high uh, the guy Dame, who won uh, the Jones, the Damon Jones. Damon Jones. Okay. We're going to throw enough active bodies at him so hopefully we can get him to be a 50 percent shooter which will give us an incredible opportunity to win the game look what they did so everyone now is looking around going oh my god they have holes in their game no pat riley and staff constructed a team saying we got to slow this guy down <laughs> okay yeah. and what we what we're going to do is we're going to play a five-man zone against this one guy to just slow him down, which is going to put an incredible amount of pressure for them to shoot at a high percentage from three. Now, I don't know how that's going to work in the next round when they have to play against another team who maybe is going to provide different a different set of problems. I don't know. Maybe it's the right thing to do. Maybe it's not. But clearly, they said, we need enough bodies to throw at that guy because there's only been one player and now there's been two teams that have shown the ability to slow him down, to slow him down. You can't stop him just to slow him down. So yeah. people say, well, what's wrong with the team? Well, nothing wrong with the team. The, the only thing, the only thing that, 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 that's, that needs to happen with this group is the following, when your offense isn't working You have to be able to get stops on the other end. The only problem I had with the Milwaukee Bucks is they were the number one defensive team in the league this year. In the playoffs, they weren't. That's my only problem with them. That's why we talked about the Clippers earlier. I don't care if Paul George doesn't shoot well. It doesn't matter. He gets all the press for playoff P or whatever. It doesn't matter. What matters is, Can they get stops can you win a 70 can you win a? can you score 85 90 points and still win that's the difference that's the difference with the milwaukee bucks okay if 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 that's how miami is going to play okay let's let's if we're going to grind this game out let's grind it out let's grind it out that to me is what makes a special player special you win and put your mark on the game however you want to play it. You want to, you want to play up and down, play up and down. You want to play on the perimeter, play on the perimeter. The Milwaukee Bucks, when it was time to grind it out, just grind the game out. It's not going to be couldn't pretty. Couldn't
2: do it. Yep.
0: That was the only thing that bothered me throughout the whole series. They couldn't grind a game out. Then we start saying, well, Chris Middleton. Well, Chris Middleton scored 30 points and won a game without Giannis. What does yep, that say? Game four
2: sure
0: so what does that say about a guy okay any player is capable of having an offensive game any player is capable but can you get stops in critical moments and do it on a consistent basis that to me is what a great team does and and if you're going to be a great team then let's take advantage of what Giannis does he is the defensive player of the year so let's put other players that can mimic what he does naturally. He does this naturally. He blocks shots, he runs, he defends, he can switch. He can play center, he can play forward. The guy played point guard. Just mimic that because that is his true gift to the game. And that's the only thing that I see. That's the only thing I see. Whether you want to do Brogdon and all of those things, okay, you can argue all of those things. That's, That's great. Somebody's got to get a stop. Yeah. And I can win with Pat Beverly. Think about this. I can win with Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly wasn't drafted in this league. I can win with Patrick Beverly. (laughs) So Zubak, I can win with guys in this league. If I can just find enough guys who will commit to that end of the floor. Now they have a way that they defend, but clearly it wasn't working in that series.
2: Yeah. And on the flip side, Miami's team is built the exact way that you're talking about. Milwaukee should be built. So many of those guys mimic Jimmy Butler. You said it, Iggy and Crowder and as good as Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are shooting the basketball, they compete defensively. Bam can- is unbelievably versatile and hat off to Miami. They They did an unbelievable job and they await now the Boston Toronto winner And we've seen the Celtics and Raptors win games that are very high scoring. And we've seen them win games that are grinded out street fights. So whoever advances and takes on Miami, that's going to be a heck of a series.
0: It's one thing I will say, look, in the NBA, people love to create chaos. So the chaos in the NBA is, oh, he wants, that's the narrative that you're hearing. Like, oh, he's going to leave. Well, if I was... An executive in the NBA, I would be creating that narrative too. But I can uh, I can assure you this all all the other twenty nine teams know the same thing that Milwaukee knows. That guy is perhaps the best player in the NBA for the next ten years because mm-hmm. no one can match up with what he does. Yep. No one can match up with this guy. Okay, everyone can talk about he doesn't have a jump shot, and okay, that's fine, but. Look, he he doesn't have a jump shot, but he could be two time reigning MVP without a jump shot. So what does that say about his game? And he's a worker. He's a worker. So everyone knows it. I'm trying to create chaos if I'm in the NBA of trying to get that narrative out there. But that young man is fine. That team is fine. There's no need to panic. And you know what? He'll figure it out. That's what great players do. He will figure it out, my friend. And once he does figure it out, Eric, you and I are going to be talking about it because this league is going to be in trouble because no one can match up with the guy. <laughs> yep. No one.
2: Yep. And as you know, great players have to uh, go through the, the the hurdles and the pitfalls climbing that championship mountain for the most part to get where they want to go. So we'll keep an eye on what the Bucs do. And uh, I think it's time for us to... Uh, to check ball with our guest. Very excited about our guest today on the Peer Hoops podcast. So, BJ, um, we talk Celtics on this show from time to time, and we have a good time doing it. I'm very excited that our guest today was actually uh, available, and after game six, uh, wanted to come on and talk to us, None other than Sean Grande 20 years the voice for the Celtics. Before then, the Timberwolves. Sean, welcome to the Pure Hoops podcast, and thank you for taking the time to join us today.
1: It's an honor to be here, except as you can imagine now, every podcast I do, every interview I do, people somehow find a way to say the longtime voice of the Boston Celtics, which I get. I get that's just a shot at being old. I I understand there's different ways to say it. So the longtime voice, the venerable voice, like, I get it. I hear what you're saying.
2: The seasoned uh-huh. voice. Well, not as long as Mike Gorman, so the seasoned voice.
1: Um, I said, listen, listen, so honestly, minutes, since we're in podcast form and you're a Celtic fan, you know I've been around for 20 The 20 years. has been with Mike Gorman, Tommy Heightson, and Cedric Maxwell. So the beauty okay. of that for me is I'm still the young guy, right? I'm still yep. the young kid. So it's reminded of a great literary reference, Thornton Mellon in Back to School, who said – If you want to look thin, surround yourself with fat people, right? So as long as I'm hanging out with those dudes, I'm always the young, I'm always the kid. I'm always the young guy, no matter how seasonable or venerable or veteran I am.
2: Sean, we had Max on when things were a little bit more quarantine-centric, and Max is... Max is just Max. He's so old school that he did his appearance with us over the phone in in TJ Maxx in Boston. The first day you could go shopping again, sitting there waiting to go shopping. So that was uh, that was memorable. Glad to have you on video. the uh, The other half of the team and um, where to begin. Um, you know, as a <laughs> basketball fan and a Celtics fan, the last. 12, 13 years, been spoiled by, it doesn't have to do with the wins, it's just these memorable games and moments, win or lose in these different uh, playoff matchups. So, game six, 2020 in the bubble. Um, give us your just first reaction of what that game felt like, intensity, emotion, and then obviously knowing now what's on the line with the winner-take-all game seven to uh, move on in the Eastern Conference playoffs.
1: Well, I think there was a moment, and I, I think one of the, the nice things about these uh, the playoff games is on national TV, the commercial breaks are longer. So we come back, we get about 30, 45 seconds to breathe a little bit and talk, which you don't normally get in the regular season. And I think in one of those, I was able to say, as I've done from time to time throughout the last month, just take a minute as we are immersed in this, clearly this instant classic and this game we're going to be talking about years from now, maybe decades from now, that this miraculous thing the NBA has done, that a month and a half ago, we didn't know if we were going to get through a week or two weeks and how many guys are going to test positive and are we going to be able to do this. And now we're we're back to, in this relatively small scope of life, we're back to normalcy, which is oh, the officials did this, and this guy did that, and Russell Westbrook turned the ball over too many times. And it's, it's, it's going so remarkably well that we've been, we get to be miserable about other things, the things we used to be miserable about. And that, that is really the gift is that we get to have these games and these moments. But it's funny because I didn't think it was a great game the first two and a half, three quarters. It was sloppy. I thought guys were tight. I thought the magnitude of the game weighed on most people, except Kyle Lowry was unaffected by everything. And he, you know, he obviously carried Toronto through that. It was not a great game, but then it evolved into this. If you like the rock fight, slugfest, NBA games that BJU participated in so many of the all-time classics of those, it was a throwback. We used to say, you know, when I first came to the Celtics, Jimmy O'Brien was here and he lived for it. He lived for 78, 76 you know, you don't, you dare go up to Jimmy O'Brien and say, man, that was ugly or whatever. He's like, he'll jump down your throat. Like that's a, it's a thing of beauty. And it was just, uh, you know, the slugfest we hoped it would be. And although no one could have predicted the road to get to it, didn't everybody say at the start, this has seven game series written all over it.
0: You know, Sean, you know, participating in those games, what is the expectation for this self-16, right? You know, like, the, the the Celtic fans, I feel they 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 maybe know something that the rest of the country don't know. Like, is I mean, I think they have a really good team. They have an emerging player who I think is just, when I say emerging, I mean, he's moving into superstar status and talking about Jason Tatum. You see Jalen Brown. I mean, he is just taking, you know, it seems like every game he's improving. You know, of course, you have Kimber Walker, what are the true expectations of this team at this point? I mean, this is a terrific series, but I get the sense that maybe they or the, the fans are expecting more than I think what is realistic for this group.
1: Your sense is extraordinarily well-connected and well-honed. <laughs> Listen, that's a Boston thing. Here, here's what makes it a Boston thing. Take a step back and people in Boston wonder, man, why, why does the rest of the country seem to hate us? I'll tell you why. Because in the last 20 years, the Patriots have won six Super Bowls and the Red Sox have won four World Series and the Celtics won and the Bruins won a Stanley Cup. And you've had Stanley Cup finals and all of these extra Super Bowls and the college hockey teams have won championships. And it's it's been insanity here to the point where last year I'm not going to say last year was a good year for the Celtics. It was very difficult. And yet, you know, all the Kyrie Irving stuff. But last year's Celtics team won 49 games, was the fifth or sixth best team in the league, got to the second round of the playoffs, and was the runt of the litter in Boston because the Red Sox had won the World Series and the Patriots had won the Super Bowl and the Bruins went to game seven. And expectations, here's a perfect example, a short-term term and long-term. A year ago, you lose Kyrie Irving and then Al Horford back-to-back. Back. There's no Kemba Walker yet. And it seemed like, wow, is this going to even be a playoff team? Then you get off to a 10 and one start and everything is forgotten. And the expectations just go back to super high because you've gotten used to it. If the Celtics win game seven tomorrow night, only San Antonio will have been in more conference finals in the last 20 years, 20 years. And yet here, well, we've only won one championship and man, that game seven in 2010. So expectations have to do with what the other teams have done. The bar is just outrageous here. And then here's a perfect example. OG Ananobi wins game three on the buzzer beater, and everybody here lost their mind that the Celtics weren't up 3-0. We should be up 3-0, and it was a 3-0 series, and we had it. And everybody forgot that 48 hours earlier, you needed Marcus Smart to hit five threes in a row, including a four-point play, the odds of which were staggering. And if he misses any of those shots, the Raptors win game two. But there's sort of a mindset here of high expectations, and I think some of the players that play here, the coaches that coach here, Some people like it because you want the expectation super high. It's the Boston Celtics, right? So um, you kind of, it can be a lot of pressure at times, but you're right. Everyone forgot that Jason Tatum's 22 years old and Jalen Brown's 23 and you're riding those guys. And that's why I think the fascinating thing about tomorrow is that this isn't a referendum on the Raptors. You can't carry the championship belt better than they have carried it this year. They have been amazing. They're, they're, they're Before the bubble, before they ran it up to, against the Celtics, they've been killing everybody, everybody. They've been the second-best team in the league all year, and we saw what happened to the, the best team is out. So Toronto's been amazing, and we know what Kyle Lowry. You know Kyle Lowry. You're going to have to pry that thing from his cold, dead hands tomorrow night, and that's just the deal. To me, it's a referendum on where Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are as, uh, you know, as young players in this league, and if Tatum is the guy – that I think we all think he will be. What we're going to find out tomorrow night if, is he that guy yet? See that guy right now.
2: Yeah, Sean, and, and to that point, and to the Raptors representing that belt, and uh, as you said beautifully, a street fight of a game in game six. We can expect that in game seven. I mean, how much is this a potential? I say potential passing of the torch type of moment that we've seen so many times in history in the playoffs that we're set up to potentially see in game seven on Friday.
1: You're stealing my open. Uh, my open tomorrow is that <laughs> the history, you know, uh, there, there's one school, thought. So I actually have to look it up. This is why you have to look stuff up before you do the, uh, the actual open tomorrow night. But there's that one school of thought that says that the world is just history. It's the same thing happening over and over and over again. And NBA history is really particularly in the modern era, the Larry Magic, the last 40 years, and especially in the Eastern Conference, and I'm talking to BJ, right? It's it's about Boston, eventually Detroit taking it from them, and eventually Chicago taking it from them. And, you know, the 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 Nets had that little run with Jason Kidd, and then the Pistons became a team in the East. But the one thing we know about history in the NBA is that the torch does not get passed. You have to take it. And right. there was an opportunity for the Celtics to take it last night, and they didn't do it. And that's, what, that, that's the beauty of this uh, because it's just set up so perfectly. You know, Toronto has been outplayed. They've been outshot. They've been outrebounded. They've been outscored. And yet this is the, the heart of a champion, the fact that they are in this seventh game. If you throw in the, the bubble game these two teams played in August, I mean, the Celtics in the series have outscored them by 32 points. That's stunning. Uh, that's a stunning margin. For a series that's three-three, and then throw in a a thirty-point win the Celtics had on Toronto a few weeks ago, and it's just such an outlier because the Raptors have been destroying everybody else. But the Celtics matchup has just been very difficult for them. But uh, you know, it's going to come down to the end tomorrow. You know, and it's our who's who's going to make a play.
0: You know, Sean, I I saw an amazing stat. I don't have it in front of me. It's where Coach Stevens didn't make a substitution. For like, I think it was the entire fourth quarter and the over. it's like it hasn't been done in like the last 20 years. Is this a result of him losing confidence, you think, in his bench or what is kind of going on here as we're getting into like where, you know, these, you know, your starters have to extend minutes, but he seems to have lost confidence in critical moments with the, uh, with this bench. Is is that the case or is it just an anomaly?
1: I, I think, well, I'm going to say anomaly for now, because it has never happened before, but if there was ever a time to do it, it's double overtime of game six in the second round, trying to close out Toronto. If there's ever a time to let the starters go, he is, you know, very, he's one of the, the modern new era coaches, very conservative with minutes during the season. That's a that constant tug of war. How come he only played? And listen, I'm, I'll be old get-off-my-lawn guy when it comes to that because I can't understand for the life of me how a guy playing 32 minutes instead of 31 affects him a week later. But if the medical <laughs> people say it does, then I, what are you going to do, right? The doctors <laughs> say, well, it does. I'm like, okay. And then you have to throw up your hands and say, you know, forget the eye test. But he's very conservative about that. But he's also – he's a guy who lets guys play with foul trouble. There wasn't foul trouble to deal with last night. The season was on the line. You had a chance to win a series, certainly a chance to finish those guys off. And those are the best guys you had on the floor. And listen, BJ, you know, you saw those guys out there last night, including Lowry, everybody on both sides. They were dragging. Everybody was, you know, because Lowry plays that game constantly with that, the smirk and the smile of just like being in the moment. You could see it in his face last night, this is what 52 minutes looks like, that I think it was more of a chance to, to get the series and try to finish it off. That said, the Celtics bench here, everything is, everybody's had to take one step up without Gordon Haywood. That's been pretty significant in this series, especially as good as he was against Toronto this year. So, um, you know, that said... Brad, you know you can't ask for any more than Grant Williams has given you in the in the spots. He's a he's a 20 year old who plays like he's 30. He's got that veteran game, that veteran mindset. Uh, Brad Wanamaker's been pretty good in the series too. He was great in you know in Game Five. So I don't know. I don't think Brad Stevens lost confidence. I just thought if you're ever going to go with your best five, last night was the night to do it.
2: Yeah, and you beat me to it with Hayward. There's been two times in this series where. It's been glaring. The game four offensive drought when Jalen was ice cold and they needed another playmaker and then obviously with all the minutes and exhaustion in game six. um, What do you think Brad has up his sleeve for game seven in terms of is it a scheme to get the pressure off of Kemba a little bit more? Is it something to ease, uh, ease up Tatum's potential looks because he's working so hard to get shots off. What are you What are you seeing and thinking offensively that they may be able to do uh, to make things a, a little bit easier for themselves in Game 7?
1: I mean, I think he liked the looks for the most part that they got. Jason Tatum just didn't have that, you know, it was, listen, fair or unfair, 22 years old, doesn't matter. We were kind of, Max and I both were kind of looking at Jason Tatum as, you know, being either last night or tomorrow, if there was going to be a tomorrow was going to be about him and his ability here, because clearly Kemba Walker had been, in my view, certainly the best player in the series through the first five games. And I guess Nick Nurse thought that too, because that's why he decided to go boxing one. So it's not good. Kemba's not going to beat us. And very early in the game, Jason Tatum missed shots. And I, listen, I'm not, you miss shots, you miss shots. You go 0 for 10, you go eight for 10. Sometimes it's your night. Sometimes it's not. I thought there was a, and this is just me talking. I thought there was a demeanor to Jason Tatum. There was a little too cool for school. Uh, way in which he was sort of carrying himself. And what you want to see, you want to see the killer. You want to see that. And and that's because that's what it takes. And I said, the Raptors are showing you what it takes to be a champion in this league. And that is the demeanor with which I I don't think it's an X's and O's thing. Obviously, you know, Brad Stevens would go back and look at everything and the way the Raptors played Kemba. But he was pretty happy with the looks that he got out of it. And Jalen knocked those looks down in the first quarter and Tatum really didn't. And I expect you're going to see more of it because it worked for Toronto. But, you know, Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens have been Xing and owing each other to death. And I think <laughs> all of us here know that when it all comes down and the history is written tomorrow night, you know, Friday night in game seven, what Nick Nurse and Brad Stevens are spending the night tossing and turning about tonight is not going to be what decides it.
0: You know, in looking ahead, you know, you know, Miami is sitting back. They're fresh. This is a very confident group. How do you feel that the Celtics match up if they are able to advance tomorrow night?
1: I think I, I this sounds crazy because it feels like both these teams will be limping into that. And Miami has looked phenomenal. I, I really think that Boston and Miami, Boston and Toronto right now are a better team. Miami is playing unbelievably well. I like the Celtics and I like the Raptors against Miami. Milwaukee, I think, was suited. Miami was really suited to exploit the issues that Milwaukee has had that so many teams were not able to exploit over the last couple of years. But I think it will be fascinating. Now, in fairness, Miami was the, only, was the last team until Toronto, until the Ananobi shot. The Celtics had won 10 straight in the bubble playing their starters. And remember, this is all against playoff teams. The Celtics have been playing unbelievably well. But Miami – Cuffed them around pretty good in their bubble game, which is very early. I think it was the second or third game in the, uh, in the bubble. I I love the balance. I've I've been a spolster guy from the start. He first caught my attention the year before LeBron went, when that he had that Miami team with Dwayne Wade and not a lot of great defensive players that you would think of in 2010 on that Miami team. And they were like the number two defensive team in the NBA. So I love their mindset. I love the way they play. And, after we just spent 15, 20 minutes talking about Kyle Lowry being that guy, there's no more alpha male in the alpha male world right now in the NBA than Jimmy Butler. And he's, you know, I think he – we talk about things like what that Marcus Smart does that are contagious, things that Kyle Lowry does that are contagious. Jimmy Butler is a fire, and that fire will either keep you warm or it will burn the house down like it did in in Minnesota. But right now I think he's got, I think he's got some dudes in that room with him we know Jay Crowder very well, that uh, I, think it, I think it works down there.
2: Perfect fit in Miami is Jimmy Butler, and uh, I, whoever moves on, Boston or Toronto, I, th- I think that will be a terrific series. And as much as I've enjoyed watching Miami play and love the way they play, I immediately flash back to 2012 and what that felt like. Obviously a new cast of characters, but you still have Spolstra and you still have Riley in Miami. And uh, obviously, uh, Celtic pride runs deep from error to error. So speaking of Marcus Smart, first team all defense, second year in a row. He's obviously had a huge impact on this series on both ends. Kyle Lowry is playing out of his mind. Smart has guarded Lowry in stretches. He's guarded Van Fleet in stretches. He's guarded Siakam in stretches. Toronto is always running pick and roll to try to get the switch they want onto Kemba. They've been trying to get Siakam going a lot on the post, most of that against Jalen. Where do you see Marcus spending most of his time by design on the defensive end in game seven?
1: Uh, I think it's going to be, but you know, on a need basis. Remember the Celtics, it doesn't really work that way with the Celtics because they are so mobile defensively and they're constantly moving. In fact, in game five, I thought Daniel Tice played the game of his life in game number five. And when you're watching a Celtics game, if you're not, haven't watched a lot of Celtic games and you're just sort of watching casually, you're like, man, they, they, they got the switch they wanted. They got Daniel Tice, you know, they, they, whoever the Celtics are playing, they've got a guard on Daniel Tice. He's been doing that all year. You have to have, again, that's the name of the game, right? This is why the Celtics have exceeded expectations because the NBA now in 2020, we had the era of the center. We had the golden age of the point guard 10 years ago, and now it's about the 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, wing defenders that can defend multiple positions, and finding guys in Miami, Bam out of bio is a great example, because he can defend multiple positions. Daniel Tyson is defending multiple positions. So Marcus Smart is usually just whoever, whoever the hottest guy is, you know, go get him. And I think that's why, you know, Jalen Brown hasn't gotten the credit in this series that he deserves, because he's actually outscoring like all his job was he had to slow down Siakam. I mean, you see these numbers for si- Siakam and Van Vliet. These guys were rolling. They were rolling over the last few weeks. I mean, Siakam is an all-star. And you know, everyone saying, what's wrong with Siakam? Oh, he's not that good. He's, this is, the Celtics are built to defend against guys like that. And so, you know, again, it's sort of on you know, Siakam. you just seen him duck his head down and try to go to the basket. And that's, you need, need more of that from, from Jason Tatum.
0: You know, I know where my friend Eric is going up for tomorrow. What's your prediction?
1: I I think it's going to be. This is my my concern. I again, if I I wouldn't be in this stuff. I wouldn't have to work with Max. Like if Max and I were good at making predictions, we'd be you know living in a tower somewhere, <laughs> right? Instead of going to work every night. I think the things that concern me most is that if from a Celtics perspective is I assume it's going to be a close game because it's Game Seven. Celtics have found – in the exception of game two, they haven't really found a way to beat Toronto in these close games. I think the thing that would concern me most is that the Celtics have – if you put Boston and Toronto together for seven games, the Celtics outscoring them by six, seven points a game, it feels like the only thing that hasn't happened in this series is, you know, Toronto really hasn't gotten going for a long stretch offensively. They're due for that. And that, that concerns me is can you maintain this kind of almost dominance – throw in the other the bubble game. As I said, the Celtics have outscored Toronto in the seven games they played down there by about 60 points. So I don't know if that, uh, how sustainable that is. But as I said, I think it's going to be great theater. I think it'll be great television. Hopefully it's going to be great radio. And it's, uh, to me, a, a referendum on, on the Celtics' young players. And um, as, as you know better than anybody, it is not easy to take, the, you know, to take that torch. It takes a while. And I don't, I don't know yet. If this group is ready to do that, because as you said, exactly right. If you had said at the start of the year that the Celtics would be in game seven in the second round, they've gone far. they had a much better regular season than they did last year. They've gone farther in the playoffs a couple of games than last year's team did. And I think Celtic fans realize with Miami waiting in the conference finals, there's a window of opportunity. You look at the way the Celtics played in game five, no one's beaten them if they play like that. Now that, that was one game. But the Celtics are clearly in the conversation here way ahead of schedule. All that Very said, good. I think it's, you know, this is going to be a rock fight again in the fourth quarter, and um, I'm excited to see it.
2: Sean, knowing Kemba Walker's journey to this point, knowing the choice he made to join the Celtics, knowing what he wants for his career, how big of a moment is this for him?
1: That Let me tell you about that dude. He has not stopped smiling from the second – He got here. I mean, here's a guy who won seven games as a rookie, seven, seven and 59 on that Charlotte team in the lockout year in 2012. He comes to Boston where, you know, the fans are insane. And again, what comes with the high expectations and the complaining when things don't go right is a building that is an insane place to play. It's a, it's a cauldron of intensity. It's why Al Horford, after being in Atlanta, all those years, Al Horford beats the Celtics in the playoffs in 2016 and he's walking off the floor and the fans are chanting, let's go Celtics, you know, to, for the, for the year that had just happened. And it's funny what happens if you burn the Celtic fans like last year's team did, and you don't, you don't, you are not worthy of their love. They'll turn on you pretty quick. And one day, one day will Kyrie will come back, I don't know, it's going to be 2023, 2024, but one day he'll, you know, he'll, he'll come back in the building and you'll see what happens when, uh, you know, when you burn Celtic fans. Uh, I think that, Kemba this year has had so much fun, so much joy in winning games because he and Gordon both, they've been the guy. This is, to me, we're learning about the construction of NBA teams and why one of the many reasons last year's team didn't work. When you're counting on young players still in their rookie contracts to take, I don't want to say subservient roles, but to be secondary players, to be role players is not fair when you're the fourth or fifth or sixth best guy. It's a critical spot on the team. But you look at the way Golden State was constructed and who was in those spots. Andre gadala was in that spot. Sean Livingston was in that spot. Zaza Pachulia was in that spot. It's hard for young guys who haven't made their money. And it's not that it's about money. It's about showing you belong. I, this is my place in the league. And you got to get guys on the other side, you know, to, to the, you know, the Brad Wanamakers who played in Europe for eight years to get into the league. You want players like, you know, Andre gadala you know, in Miami now, and Kemba and Gordon Hayward both, if it's Jalen Brown's night or it's Jason Tatum's night, they are good with it. They just want to win at this point. And that's why I think Kemba's had you know, so much joy never been in the second round of the playoffs. So I'm sure he had a rough night sleeping last night, thinking he, he could have done more, and you don't want a 2-for-13 or a 2-for-11 on your record in game six. So I think, generally speaking, he's a guy who bubbles, schmumble whatever. I'll play in an empty jet like he, he's just – Again, you could not, with a sledgehammer, you haven't been able to take a smile off that guy's face all year.
2: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i lucky enough to know him a little bit from New York and uh, some mutual friends and a little work together. And he's one of the nicest people I've ever met. So obviously when uh, he became a Celtic, it was thrilling to see and to see how he's raised the level of these guys around him every day and how much he loves it is uh it's been pretty awesome. So I'm, I'm hoping game seven is memorable for him. And speaking of game sevens, uh, you know, BJ and I love to talk different moments in history and his career in game sevens. And you look at this, you know, you have this resurgence of Celtic basketball that was the big three, and then the torch gets passed to Stevens after the trade and the quick rebuild. We've had some magical game sevens, win or lose, since uh, since 08. I was at the game in 18 when they lost to LeBron in game seven, which I I think I've come to deal with at this point, BJ, or maybe I'm just (laughs) repressing it. But you think about it, Sean, you think about that night, you think about that series against Washington, you think about Miami, you think about the 2010 finals, you think about Pierce and LeBron in 08, like... How incredible is it that this franchise finds itself in the middle of these unbelievable game seven moments over the years?
1: Yeah, I think 2008, you know, it was going to be an amazing year anyway, but to have the Lakers end up on the other side and to, you know, to have grown up watching the Celtics and Lakers, and then all of a sudden you realize you're about to call a Celtics Lakers NBA final and then get to do it again. A couple of years later, I, I tell the, I tell the story, you know, Doris Burke, great friend of mine. And in 2010, In LA, anyway, we were courtside, and her seat was next to mine during, you know, the one, two, six, and seven, the games out there. And in game seven, we're sitting there, in game seven of the NBA finals, and it's the Celtics and Lakers, and it's going on. And she gets up at the end of the first quarter to go interview Doc to do the end of the quarter interview, and they come by and they hand the stat sheets out. And I took my stat sheet, and I had turned it over, and I just drew two circles on it. Uh, a very big one and a very small one. And I put it in front of her and the big circle said world. And the little circle said us, because here we were sitting courtside watching a Celtic Laker game. And we were like 11 year olds kicking each other out of the table. Like, do you believe that we're here doing it? Um, So it has been amazing. I remember having that feeling, you know, growing up watching bird and Dominique. And now I was, I was well keenly aware as game seven was going on with, with Cleveland in 08 that, Uh, you know, we're seeing something that we would be talking about for for a very long time. And, you know, I I can't imagine what it's like as a player to be in those moments and to grow up and realize you're playing in the game, games that we're going to be talking about and watching, as we all sit home in a pandemic, watching 10-part documentaries, um, you know, reliving the (laughs) the game from from 20 years ago. But I think if to do this job properly, you have to have some – semblance of understanding of the history and the context of these games and these moments and what they mean to people that it's very easy to get tunnel visioned and think about what's going on on Friday and this game and whatever but you got to step back and realize that these are the things that you know fair or unfair people aren't going to remember you as a player coach or broadcaster as good as you may be in game 21 at Sacramento on a Tuesday night These are the moments that are going to be remembered. And again, that's why I talk a lot about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and whatever, because, and the beauty of, of the passing the torch, because that's the entire history of the NBA is dotted with it. And that's a, you know, that's a, that's the storyline tomorrow. You know, Eric, I got one
0: last question here. One of the things that's been a stabilizing factor for the Celtics over the years has been Danny Ainge. I mean, he's, built these teams and constructed these teams in a variety of ways. Can you share with us something that you've seen over the years? Because, I mean, he's had a phenomenal run as an executive. You know, I've gotten a chance to know Danny and I've come to admire him and what he's done over the years. But what do you think has been a couple things or one thing that you've noticed that's allowed him to have this success as an executive
1: in the NBA? The very underrated ability, and I guess it falls to some degree under the heading of humility to realize that the game is constantly changing. And what worked for you a few years ago is not, may not be, you have to change your thinking. The game has changed, and you try to be ahead of the curve. And the guys that have had success in the league are the guys who have been ahead of the curve. And I'm going to draft a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown because. The game is evolving to being a three-point shooting game offensively and defensively, being able to guard multiple positions and everybody stepping out. And I think continuity in the staff. Obviously, you're talking about a guy, He said two head coaches. The Celtics have had two head coaches in 16 years. And there are teams in the NBA, I'm not going to say them out loud, the Knicks, who've had about 81 coaches <laughs> at the time. And you can't, listen, at any level, you can't win that way. You have to have continuity. It's not just coaching staff front office people. He's had Mike Zarin with him, you know, his assistant for 12, 15 years that those kind of things matter. The relationship he had with doc, the relationship he has with, with Brad Stevens, and the ability to communicate with everybody in the organization that you, you build trust and you, that's, people want to come, you know, talented people want to work for you when you trust them. So I think those are just a, you know, a couple of the things that that sort of separate him. But I really think the ability, the successful people in sports are the ones who see what's coming, not what was, and recognize that what worked one day, you know, the great coaches, you can't rule with an iron fist over everybody because if you've got 12 guys in your locker room, they all respond differently to different things. These are 12 different human beings. So the ability to, Be a successful coach means being able to coach everybody. The ability to be a general manager means to manage everybody in the organization and to see what the game is going to be and what your coach is going to need, not just tonight, but next year and and the years beyond.
2: Well, seeing what's coming will hopefully be a Boston-LA final, one of the LA teams. And, BJ, I was actually going to call you – Uh, two days ago to laugh about this, but I was mapping some things out for the the KG film, Sean, that I mentioned before the show. So I'm thinking of ways to capture KG in real time, either like a scene with Pierce or just him and his element. And if we get Celtics-Lakers, I get to film KG watching LeBron and Rondo in a Lakers uniform against the Celtics in the final. And if we get Celtics-Clippers, I get to see KG watching the Celtics play against Doc Rivers, Sam Cassell, and Ty Lue in the finals. So hopefully one of those will happen, and we'll have to bother you again, because this was a fantastic segment, and uh, we appreciate you joining us, Sean. Thank you very much.
1: It was my pleasure.
2: BJ, so great to have someone like Sean Grande join us, uh, a true... historian great at his craft and obviously him and Cedric Maxwell been doing a great job with the Celtics for quite a long time on radio. So hopefully we will have the need to have him back later in the playoffs, fingers crossed on that Friday night. Um, Coaching changes. We talked about the Steve Nash hire going to Brooklyn last week. And now it's, it's interesting when an organization and a head coach look at each other and examine where they're at. And they realize that um, they're not meant to be together anymore. And I'm talking about Billy Donovan and the Oklahoma City Thunder um, not entering talks to renew his deal. He was there five years. He was in the playoffs. He did an unbelievable job this season. Sounds like the Thunder are going to go the rebuild route. What was your reaction when you heard the news on uh, Billy D and OKC parting ways?
0: Well, you know, being around this league now for some time, I just always look at the books. I just look at their numbers. And when you look at their roster and financially what's on their books right now, you have Chris Paul. It's going to be over $40 million next year. You have, you know, uh, Stephen Adams is going to be around 27 $28 million, uh, next year. And you're in a small market in a pandemic and, and potentially a season next year where we don't know if there's going to be fans or so in the building. So mathematically, uh, Eric, it just doesn't add up. <laughs> That's Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: It just doesn't add up. You know, I can't even get into my opinion about the situation. I'm just looking at the books. It just doesn't add up. It, and so I don't think there is of whether or not they want them. Billy Donovan, okay, let's clear this up. Billy Donovan is a Hall of Fame coach. Okay, he's a Hall of Fame coach. Who doesn't need a Hall of Fame coach? And arguably, Coach of the Year this year in the NBA. Yep. So, it's not about whether or not they couldn't work out a deal. Financially, just look at it. Look at it for what it is. You know so many times we look at it and i don't want to sound like i'm just you know i'm just you know i I can't be a fan of the game but when you look at their numbers and look at their uh, where they are as an organization and a small market you know that team is one of the they have one of the highest salaries in the entire nba yeah and a lot of
2: young talent and all the draft picks they got from Houston. And, so yeah, we, we, we it, can anticipate all of what's the, coming look, here.
0: Yeah, look at, the, look at the income, right? So we had the, the whole situation in the preseason with the, 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 the tweet situation with, with the, the Rockets. Okay, that had a significant economic impact on the NBA. Yep. We had the pandemic, which had an incredible impact in the nba we're playing a game in a bubble now with no fans which we yep. know is 40 percent of the income of the nba i just look at the math eric it's not adding up and you can't continue to have a small market team with these type of numbers because no one at the beginning of the season anticipated that this team was going to be as good as they were this year no one Myself included. If anything, yep. Chris Paul was supposed to get traded this year at the trading deadline. Yep. That's what everyone assumed when he got traded there, right? So, you know, I, I I just see, you know what? They had an incredible year. They had incredible leadership from the from Chris Paul in particular and Billy Donovan. They outperformed everyone's expectation. And now Sam Presti and company have to do what's best in the best interest of the organization. Let's first look at the books. <laughs> now yep. let's look at the books. Let's look at the books. Every I I can't be all sports when this is a business. Clearly that's what it is. So, you know, I, I think Sam is, you know, he's proven that he, He understands this business as well as anyone. And I'm sure at the proper time, he'll do what's best in his best interest. When I say his best interest, what's best for the organization moving forward. And hopefully uh, those players, whether they decide to stay there or move. It all come down to it all comes. It always comes down to just finances, just money. So we'll see how it plays out. But I don't anticipate. Chris Paul or. Steven Adams being in OKC at the start of next season. I think it's inevitable yeah. that he, he'll have to do that. I think it's inevitable um, playing in those small markets and not knowing and having the uncertainty of what next season is going to look like. Sure. We don't even know when it's going to start sure. right now. We yeah. don't even know when free agent. Here we are in September, and we don't know when free agency is. We don't know what the salary cap is. We don't know yeah. when the draft... They're, they're back, all of they're these backing things, up
2: the draft. Yep, yep. A lot of questions. So, a lot of questions.
0: If you were owning a team right now, Eric, you wouldn't be saying, "Oh, well, we, we went to Game Seven against the Rocket." You'd be looking at like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, looking at the business, and that's yep. the that's and, the business we work in.
2: And 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 the plus side for them is they know what they have in Alexander. They know they've got something in Dort. They know they've got something in Baisley. And they've got all these draft picks, so we we can, we can see where this is headed. Um, Billy Donovan, we're not sure. Um, Caught something today that said he may be looking to go back to college, but you've got openings in Chicago. You got openings in Philly. You got openings in Indiana. You got openings in New Orleans. So uh, Billy Donovan has a lot of really attractive choices and we'll keep an eye on, um, where he goes and as you said he has had one heck of a career both in the nba and of course as a college coach he's a hall of fame coach uh, that that man deserves
0: all the respect and he should be well sought after but the most important thing for a coach of his caliber is where you go you Mm -hmm. know where you go i mean he he clearly can coach with the best of them so now just take your time and figure out what's best situation for him because he's I mean he's a he's he's magnificent at what he does magnificent
2: yeah i think we should get him on the podcast before he takes his next job for sure let's make note of that great job today my yeah. friend this was great our guest was great our convo was great i got to uh, get into my game 7 meditation uh get ready for uh tonight as this releases friday so game 7 Celtics Raptors Winter takes on the Miami Heat, and of course, Lakers and Clippers looking to advance in the West as the Nuggets and Rockets fight to stay alive. Uh, special thanks, as always, to producer Mike Lieber, the one and only Bruce Bernstein, editor Tom Phillip, and the entire Pure Hoops Media team. Be sure to check out the Mike Wise Show, drops each and every Monday. Check out Full Court Press on Tuesdays with John Fanta and Kim Adams. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong, dropping each and every Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure bring you buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, check out the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and myself, Eric Newman. Please check out all of our shows. Subscribe, download, share, rate, review. Most importantly, enjoy. See you next week on the Pure Hoops podcast. Stay healthy, stay safe, stay pure.
1: The Pure Hoops podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.